everybody. Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Ross. And I'm Gordon. And you folks are welcome. This is episode 122. That sounds like a lot. Fortunately, we haven't done all of them. Otherwise, you'd have nobody listening. Well, there is that. <laughs> Audience, indirectly proportional to the number of episodes. There you go. <laughs> That's why most podcasts die after eight episodes. So, how are you doing, Gordon? I'm okay. You were out photographing the waterfalls and stuff today? Uh, not today. A couple of days ago. A couple of days ago. Yes. And the Warplane Heritage Museum? Yes. I love that place. I do too, uh, but uh, I was frustrated for a while because I couldn't get the shots I wanted. So yeah. finally I said, okay, I picked one plane and I said, I'm going to stay with this for as long as we stay here. Right. And that became much more satisfying. You know, that's a really interesting comment that you make because... So often we go to places where we haven't been, and we try to photograph everything. Mm -hmm. And invariably, that doesn't really work so well, because we're running around trying to get everything in a limited period of time. And I don't know about you, but my experience is the light knows I'm trying to do that. <laughs> yes, the, the light knew what we were doing, and it didn't like it, us a whole no, lot. No, no, it, it says, yeah, screw you. I teach you guys. Uh, that definitely happened to me and, and a similar place. I got luckier at the Warplane Museum because I'd gone with Dagny, but I did the one out in Seattle and I swear, <laughs> <laughs> camera came up, light said, yeah, screw that. <laughs> and I came away with a whole lot of nothing. So this time I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart uh, as a Lightroom user. Now you're a Lightroom user. I am a Lightroom user, and when you mentioned this to me, I suddenly realized I didn't know much about it other than the obvious, and I decided I had to find out. More than fair. So the thing we, we're going to talk about today is the concept and the actuality of the virtual copy. So... That sounds a little confusing, frankly. It's a copy, but it's virtual, so that means it's... Not a copy. Not a real copy. Yep, that's the way I felt about it when you presented it to yeah, us. For the first yeah, time I think, and, and so I'm not nuts about the name, but the name is the name, and we're going to live with it. The whole idea, I think, and I don't know, I think comes from the concern that as we sit down to edit an image, an image we've decided is at least going worth going through the editing process, that sometime in the edit, we might mess something up that would be bad. Have you ever felt that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Almost all the time. Yeah, that's true too. Because I want to keep the original original i don't want to take, make changes to it but i don't want to have to duplicate the file not because i'm particularly concerned about space space is relatively inexpensive but 
I often want to try a number of different things on a single image. Let's see what, what happens if I do this with color, or this with curves, or this with, you know, a, a hue, or this with a mask. And I want to be able to compare them all together, but not create, you know, massive storage on the hard drive. And a lot of times we'll be, might be playing, we may be doing so without our big external drives. We might be doing some work actually locally uh, on our laptop drive or something that doesn't have a gazillion gigabytes of free space. So the virtual copy is a pretty amazing thing. How much space does a virtual copy take? Um, none. Well, pretty much close to none. I mean, we're talking kilobytes. We're not talking megabytes. Sure. So it's a very small file because it doesn't actually contain anything except a pointer to the original file and a text file written in XML. No, we don't have to know how to write in XML. That's created, and it's basically the instruction set for whatever edits we've done. So a virtual copy takes that original file and processes the edits to render that on the screen. So we could make one, two, 50 virtual copies if we wish. And we can act on them all independently without breaking something else. Mm -hmm. So for example, I know you like black and white. Yep. But you also like color. Yep. Wouldn't it be great to be able to do a black and white edit and a color edit? Take yeah. them as far as you wish. Yep. Absolutely. Not chew up a bunch of space. But if you like one, turn it into a print or post it online or do whatever it is one does with your edited images. This is where virtual copies really come into their own. But folks get confused because of the idea of virtual and copy. So I've heard, and you've probably heard from other peers as well, well, how do I keep track of these? Well, what's a common way to keep track of a file? Perhaps it's name? Mm -hmm. Can we rename a virtual copy? Well, you call it a copy. Yeah. And, or you could, you, could, you could rename the whole thing. You could. You as long as the program keeps track of what it is. Exactly. And this is where Lightroom really excels, because Lightroom is the master, as much as we're going to find a master in today's world, of metadata management. Mm -hmm. So I can put a keyword against a file. I can even write a description for a file. And if I had five virtual copies, I could give them all a unique description that would show up to me in the library module. That's in the same location. <laughs> all in the same location. Yep. And taking up no more space, except for that little tiny... XML text file that is hidden within the Lightroom library. Oh, it's hidden in the Lightroom library, which we also back up. Yep. And it's stored perfectly safely. The other thing that it's going to do is it's going to create a preview in Lightroom. 
we don't have to go through the work of exporting it as a JPEG or exporting it as something else. The preview gets stored in the LR previews file, which is part of your overall Lightroom catalog. Mm -hmm. So there's no limit to the number of virtual copies that one can make, and we can all do different things with them. Mm -hmm. So what do you see some benefits from that? I can I could see all kinds of benefits, but the thought crossed me across my mind today is this is Lightroom, and I'm assuming this function is available in whatever system you're running Lightroom on. Yes, because it's a Lightroom function. Okay. So whether someone is running Lightroom on a Windows machine or whether someone is running Lightroom on a Macintosh machine, functionality function is, is there. the same. Yeah. So to take that one step further and not meaning to push anything or to suggest anything, if you're not using Lightroom, mm -hmm. uh, is, is there something similar in other programs or, or uh, do you deny yourself the ability to use this by not using Lightroom? So I can't claim to be an expert on every piece of software no, but you, out there. Better than most. Uh, and yeah, there are other pieces of software that support the concept of a of a copy. Okay. Uh, Capture One has that capability. Um, the highly underappreciated DxO Photo Lab. Okay. Uh, has that capability, but I will say, nothing makes it Nobody easier. Nobody does than it better. <laughs> Yes, that's correct. Nobody does it better. You may now sing the Bond theme. Thank you. Okay, very good. <laughs> yeah. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> the people just are happy wishing that I don't sing. Because okay, um, I have a great voice for radio, as long as I'm talking. Okay. Uh, that, that's that's good, because I, I find this, once I got the concept of this virtual copy under my belt. Um, I said, well, how did, how did I actually function before this? Because um, I, did, I did all the things that you said. I do uh, light, black and white edits. I do color ed edits. Um, I'm aging some images. Um, oh, like filters and, and effects. Yeah, every, everything. I'm saying, well, yeah, that's a great example. So it's a, it's a wonderful tool. Now, because they take up no space, I know that I do this, and it's it it actually has caused some confusion for listeners, um, and for readers of the articles. One gentleman was very gracious and wrote in and said, "Can you explain to me one more time why you keep doing these virtual copies?" Partly it is my own workflow and a little bit of nervousness that I'm going to screw something up so badly that I don't want to go back to zero. So I might be doing an edit and get to a point where I feel comfortable, but now I'm going to want to use another tool, mm -hmm. something outside of Lightroom. Okay. And so let's use an example of the Nick Collections, pretty yes. popular tool. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I still use. Um, 
So if I send something out to you, Nick, and let's suppose that I'm using uh, Color Effects Pro. Okay. It's got some really nice contrast tools that I happen to like. Could I screw that up? Hell yeah. <laughs> and like Photoshop, just like Photoshop, mm-hmm. these tools are pixel-based editors. Right. That means they're returning a different file. Right. And let's suppose I'm going down the path of using one or two or three, maybe jump to Photoshop to remove some spots, remove some stuff from the photo that I don't want, comes back to Lightroom, then I'm going to bounce that out to Color Effects, bring it back, and I'm going to bounce it out to some other tool, you know, maybe one of the Topaz tools or another Nick tool. I'm inclined to make a virtual copy every time I'm ready to send it out. Mm-hmm. because I've always got that, let's call it, major one step back. Because one of the benefits that we have in Lightroom is the history panel. Right. Right until we send the photo out of Lightroom. Yes. Because if I send the photo out, it has no history. Correct. The image that comes back has no history, and Correct. I can't jump back. So this is another reason I find virtual copies so handy. I can do more experimentation. So what you're actually saying, in fact, is that you can make a copy of the copy. You, you, do, your, you do your edits up to a point, and you want to send the edited version to wherever. Yep. <clears throat> and you send that out. So even if you do mess it up at the other one in an irretrievable fashion, you still have the edits that you have done up to this point existing in the previous copy. That in you a made. virtual copy. Yeah. Exactly. Because so you don't have to even, so you don't have to go back and redo any of them. You can just start from where you left off before you sent the image out. Right. So, for example, any time before I send, I'll do my initial editing in Lightroom because, quite frankly, it's a really good tool. Okay. But there are things that it doesn't do well. You know, it doesn't do content-aware at all. Mm-hmm. Whether it's content-aware fill to extend the background, whether it's, you know, using the content-aware functions to remove something. Yep. Um, Photoshop it does a really good job at that. When that fo- so I'll have that virtual copy, I'll send it to Photoshop, do those Photoshop edits. Comes back if I like it, I'm going to make a new virtual copy. Okay. Because I always have that place to start. Right. For the next group of sure. edits, particularly if I'm going to use a pixel-based editor, like most plugins are. Right. <clears throat> If, for example, and we've talked about this before, I'm going to do start, you know, I get my core edits done, you know, remove the stuff I don't want it, I don't want to have, and now I'm going to do some work in, um, you know, using luminance, luminance masking. Right. I want to have the pre-masking effort. Right. Because I can screw that up. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I'm working with, I've broken my image into 11 zones, 
and I'm editing each zone independently. Right. Now, the good news about the tool that I use for that um, is that each of those is a layer in a Photoshop document. And if I, you know, I, I want, I can kill off one or two layers and right. start again. But what if I've brought it back and then I've done something else to it? Mm-hmm. And I blow it up. I want to be able to return back to the point just where I finished my luminosity masks. Right. Before I did something dumb. <laughs> you know, try a sharpening tool or a motion shake correction or something like that. That really, that doesn't work. Because I think part of the joy of editing is that we can try stuff. And not, it doesn't always work. Yep. Sometimes we try things with all best intent. And, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I can say, okay, Batman, <laughs> you are deep in the Batcave right now, and there's no way out. So the best thing you can do is quit and come back in and start again. Yep. Or sometimes you may say, hey, this is a cool place, but it's not really my intent. Let me go back to the beginning and take a different path. Right. Put another branch in that dev tree that takes me to a different place. Right. And this is where virtual copies really add value. And we don't have virtual copies in most pixel-based editors. Correct. Because they are not XML-based the way that Lightroom is. And this is what, one of the reasons why Lightroom is such a great choice for this kind of editing. Now, you said that there was a time when you didn't use them. Yes, so what did you do? Exactly what you think I'm going to say is that I would I would send the original note and do something to it, and if I messed it up, well, write it up to experience and yeah, me too. That's uh, too bad. You know, I, I I do advocate that whether you shoot in raw or you shoot in JPEG that you should always keep copies of those originals. Mm -hmm. You know, when you download them from the camera or the card, they should be someplace that's sort of sacrosanct. You never touch them again. Right. So if something goes all to hell and gone, worst case is you can go back to the card or the card file. Right. The, the card has been formatted <laughs> 52 times. <laughs> By the time you realize that you need the originals, and that's guys... Don't. <laughs> this is going to sound horrible, and I'm not really, I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone, but I encountered a person uh, with sufficient uh, financial resources that when they filled the card, they put the card in a drawer. Okay. And got another card. I know somebody like that. Now, there's a challenge with this, right? What's on those cards? I don't know. They're freaking small. Like, I can't put a note on that, right? Yeah. And today's cards hold a lot of stuff. Yep. You know, I bought a, I bought a card for the deck that we use for, for podcasting. It's got 128 gigs of space on it. That's a lot. Yep. And, creating and it's a, got little pictures on it. And creating, <laughs> you know, an index file for that. 
Honestly, man, I don't know anybody who does that. You know, and we're not copying to CD because what are you going to do with 128 gigs of stuff on a device that only holds 600 meg? Oh, well, I could put it on DVD. Okay, now you've got 4.7 gigs. Ah, not going to work. So we're going to put them someplace. Typically, an external hard drive is a great place. I'm a big fan now that they're proven of these little solid state drives, right. SSDs, because the prices come down to not insane. Right. Unless you buy the one that comes in, the, in your Macintosh. Those are still priced insane. True. But in general, you can go to your local computer store, or hell, you can go to Amazon, and you can get a terabyte or two terabytes of these l- literally smaller than a cigarette pack Mm-hmm. For young people, there used to be these things called cigarettes. <laughs> you're probably yeah, a lot. You're probably a lot smarter than some of the older folks. Um, and literally, I've got one. Well, actually, I've got a through a monopoly error in my favor. <laughs> I have a box of these things that are two terabytes in size. Oh my! And each one's like the stack of the size of two credit cards stacked together. And there's all kinds of space. They're super reliable. And unlike a memory card, which will lose its ability to hold images over time, particularly if it's a uh, Bob's memory card. Uh, and you've seen them, guys. Like yeah. You spend $60 for a SanDisk card with X amount of capacity, but you could get Bob's for 6 bucks. You're probably getting exactly what you paid for. Yep. So using a card as your repository for original images doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not cost effective and it's impossible to archive. And one of the things that Lightroom does extraordinarily well is build that library that points to where you keep your images. Yep. (laughs) And... We still see questions on the Kelby community. Well, doesn't all the pictures have to be on my local hard drive? Because that would take a lot of space, and that's a fair question. But the answer is no. Right. Because you don't keep all your pictures on your local hard drive. No, sir. (laughs) You keep them on an external drive. Yep. I keep all my photographs on a network-attached storage device, so they're available to all my computers. Right. So there's no need to fill your hard drive with these images. There's no need to fill a drawer with memory cards that could go bad. And I don't know if anyone's ever noticed this, but the world's consumption of storage changes. Mm -hmm. You just got a new MacBook, right? Yep. If someone hands you a DVD, what do you do? Um, say, where can I find this on online? Exactly. You know, I know lots of folks who squirreled away tons of photos on CD. CDs do go bad. Yep. And where are you going to play them? I don't know. I don't own a computer. On a Betamax machine. Well, yeah, pretty much, right? (laughs) It's the same deal. You know, I, I've been in the IT industry for know, decades. I've got a box of stuff 
that can no longer be read. There you go. You know, I've got eight inch discs, five and a quarter inch diskettes, three and a half inch diskettes, Bernoulli drives, jazz drives, zip drives, all of this, these great ideas that nobody can use anymore. Right. What can I use? If I had to, I could spill, still spin up an old IDE drive. It would be grindingly slow. Yep. And very small. In fact, my first hard drive wouldn't hold one photograph of my <laughs> camera. You know, that five meg drive isn't going to do anything for anybody. No. Yeah, I, I have to admit that... Um, uh, not not so much the the virtual copy concept, but when I when I first got started getting into this, um, I I thought to myself, I said before I started doing this, how could I possibly keep track of any of these images? I can track them by year, but you know, give me give me six months and I won't know which year I'm in anyway. And uh, to say, well, I took these images sometime in June 2019. Uh, could be on Mars for all I know at that point. Yeah, I have to agree with you. So the, as a cataloging process, this whole, the whole concept of virtual copies and uh, uh, it, it's, its tracking process is absolutely mind-boggling. I, I, I don't... People who don't use uh, a digital asset manager for, uh, is what I think the current terminology is. Yeah, that's correct. I don't know how they find anything. I, I confess I, I don't either. And I know lots of good folks who still don't use a dam, like a Lightroom. Lightroom is an yeah. example. Mm -hmm. Or at least the library module is. Um, of a digital asset manager. Um, I see folks, they're copying cards to our drive and they're manually putting stuff in folders. Yep. I know somebody who's doing it right now. That seems like an enormous amount of work. Yeah, I, I, I think so. So maybe another a future episode, we should talk a little bit about how to get the most of the Lightroom catalog system, save some time so you can spend more time Photographing or editing or seeing your family or doing something perhaps think, more yeah. constructive. I, th I think that's a worthwhile excursion. Okay. But one way to get there, or at least to give yourself some type of framework, is through the use of these virtual copies. Absolutely. And it's a very, very simple thing to do. So let's suppose that you're a Lightroom user and you're in the library or the develop module for that matter, and you've got an image open and you want to make a virtual copy. Yep. How do you do that? Well, <clears throat> you press the command or control key and you press, uh, press the apostrophe key. So command or control apostrophe. Correct. Two fingers. Two fingers. And it one does. if your hands are really big. One if your hands are really big, or you're more coordinated than me. And, and that's and that's that's one system, but uh, it's got little things that pop out from everywhere that will allow you to make 
a virtual copy at pretty much any stage of your developmental process. See, it's interesting because I never knew about command control apostrophe. Okay. I've never, I mean, it's great. What a great idea. I've always right-clicked and from the pop-up menu chose create virtual copy because I'm fairly dull. (laughs) And I want to read the words. Words is hard. And it works, but it does the same thing. It creates another entity within your catalog that takes up virtually no space that you can actually work on without changing the original file at all. Correct. So this is something I do even if I bring a file into Lightroom, and I know the only place I'm going to do any kind of editing is Lightroom. Because I often want to compare what fell out of the camera to where I was able to get to because there are some things that you can't use that backslash key to back out of. Right. Like cropping. Mm-hmm. Right? You can use the backslash key to say, show me what it was originally. But if you're using tools that are pixel-oriented, cropping is one of them. Right. Yeah, it's not going to work. Back. And that can be a real asset as you're learning your edit craft. But it's also a real asset when you start to realize that cropping is not a sin. Yes, it would be ideal to get it perfect in camera. For me, that happens pretty freaking rarely. Mm -hmm. And plus, I don't want to feel constrained by somebody's idea of what the proper image ratio is from 1885. Right. You know, nothing I own except a view camera does four to five ratio, eight by ten. Right. There's nothing. None of my DSLRs do that. Nope. When I had a mirrorless, it didn't do that. Nope. My phone doesn't do that. And But you can get a frame. But I can buy frames. <laughs> I can buy eight by ten frames till the cattle sprout wings and fly to Jupiter. And they're no use to me at all because I don't compose for that. Right. This is a place where virtual copies can help. Because now I can start to look at it and say, Yeah, you know what? I don't like that crop. I'm gonna choose to go twenty four nine. The cinemascope look. And I can crop to that and keep the original without throwing any pixels mm-hmm. away. But work on something in the 24-9 or 24-10 ratio or 16-9 or 16-10 or one of my favorite ratios because I used to shoot Hasselblad, square. Square. And then you can put them up side by side and recite what you really don't like about them. Absolutely. And you can try different compositions as well through mm-hmm. the use of crop tools right. in virtual copies. And it costs you nothing in space. Right. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, well, how would this look square? Is it best landscape? What if we were to crop in? What if we were to go make it vertical? Vertical. Portrait. <laughs> Portrait mode. What if we were going to go short and wide or Tall and narrow. Mm-hmm. We can do all of those things in a virtual copy without changing the original file at all. And 
know, and I think you and I are on the same page here. There's no rule that says it has to fit in an eight by ten frame, or anything, any of those variants. You know, mm-hmm. four by five, mm-hmm. eight by ten, eleven, fourteen, sixteen by twenty. We can buy frames for them, but we're cutting away a lot of the image that we gather. Whether right. you're shooting four thirds, as you do, whether you're shooting three to two, mm-hmm. as I'm doing, or you want just a different format. I know like on my phone, since we talked about using the phone, I just leave the thing in 16.9. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I'm doing video on it and I might want to throw a still in right. as part of the video and I don't want to have to edit the, edit the crop right. you okay. know, and edit the aspect ratio after the fact. Because I can pull those videos into Lightroom too. Yep. I'm not going to do video editing in Lightroom. I know it's possible. I also know that you can remove your own appendix with a <laughs> hand mirror, a bottle of vodka, and an X-Acto knife, but you probably don't want to do that. I don't want to edit video in Lightroom. That's just dumb. But I sure want to be able to quickly scan through those videos and see, yeah, which ones am I going to take the time to edit? Right. And where are the stills? Why am I shooting stills as well as video? Because if I'm shooting 4K video on the phone, and I can, every still I extract is compressed 8 megapixel. Right. I'm pretty lucky. My phone will shoot 12 megapixel raw. Right. Is that better? There's a hell of a lot more data there. Yep. And so I like the flexibility to be able to do both. Now, I can't. Actually, I don't know because I've never tried if I can do a virtual copy of a video. But it probably doesn't matter because I'm not going to edit the video in Lightroom anyway. True. (laughs) But I can do a virtual copy of the phone photos. And then I can work with them beside photos that are going to come from a four-thirds camera, from a crop sensor DSLR, from a full-frame DSLR, from a digital Hasselblad mm-hmm. because I'm constructing a book right. or I'm constructing an online video. We've talked about it at the club using uh, a wonderful tool called Adobe Spark. Yep. But I want them to have the same look and feel. Okay. I don't want them to look, you know, okay, this looks like low-res crap. This doesn't look like low-res crap. You want to have some continuity in your edit process, and we all have more than one camera. Right. I mean, you came in, you sat down, and you showed me f- images of places you'd gone with your big camera. Sorry, I'm making air quotes no. that you guys can't <laughs> see. And with his big camera, but he also shot them with his phone. Yep. Both are perfectly viable bits of content. Well, I'm certainly getting to that point where I'm recognizing they are. So. And both can go into Lightroom and be edited. Mm-hmm. It's frighteningly easy. So this is another place where virtual copies can really come into play. What if I wanted a consistent aspect ratio? What if I wanted to apply the same look? Maybe you're doing a project and you want to use a lot. You talked about aging. You want to give something, you want to give a series of images the same look and feel without changing the original image. Right. 
Virtual copies are a great way to do that. If you're a preset person, this is really simple. Right. You apply the preset to your virtual copy rather than to the original. Rather than to the original. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, what have you lost? One virtual copy. One virtual mm-hmm. copy. You've already got a back, <laughs> backing step. So are there any reasons that you can think of why people shouldn't use virtual copies? I really can't. Yeah, I really can't either. I mean, I always want to try to provide both sides of a uh, uh, of an uh, picture of options. options. Yeah, picture. You're right. And I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't do it. No, it doesn't take up any time. It doesn't take up any space. I know and that. I know that folks get concerned that they may end up with too many. Okay. So what? So delete the ones you're not using. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a smaller problem than going out to shoot sparrows or woodpeckers and coming home with 4,000 images of the same bird. Yeah, but there's one proviso on that. If you're going to delete all these things, don't delete the original. And that's a choice you can make. Well, uh, but if you do, you may decide, decide you don't want the pictures at all. Yes. But if you delete the image, you have lost all your virtual copies. That is true. That is absolutely true. Because you cannot delete the... So when I first did this, uh, I I did just this. Deleted the original and went to do something to a virtual copy. And I don't know, Lightroom, Photoshop, something said, eh, no, can't do that. You know, that's a really good point that you make. So that's a gotcha. Um, And it's less about culling. It's more about process management. Sure. So virtual copies are virtual. Yes. They're not in and of themselves standalone entities. So we need the original for them to refer to, right? Because the virtual copy is just a recipe of changes that you're going to make to that original file. Now, one thing I didn't quite understand is that uh, when I was reading this, it did say that if you're looking at a set of images, uh, same image, uh, let's say five versions, and you've got the original, and then you've got four uh, virtual copies. It allows you the option of making one virtual copy the master copy. Mm -hmm. Does that actually make it into a permanent image? No, it doesn't. So think about it this way. If you go down the route to do a series of virtual copies, what you're basically saying is the master virtual copy, and you can have more than one, is the stasis point from which the next one comes. Okay. So you can all you can drop back to it. Okay. And that means that any changes you make to the master will flow to the others. Flow to the others. Okay. Um, it's not it's not a function that I've I can actually recall ever using, so I can't speak to it with any kind of clarity. No, it, it just struck me as being. I said, "Well, be careful how you do this because uh, it may not be exactly as it's being spelled out." Right. No, that's a good point. And another place that I find virtual copies 
or I found them very useful in the past. Um, and this very gracious uh, reader from Sydney, Australia, wrote in and said, you know, you might be doing more work than you need to, and he was correct. Because back in the old days, if you made a virtual copy and worked on it, for the purpose of making a print edit, you would make a proof copy. Right. But if you changed the ICC profile, you weren't prompted to make a new proof copy. Ah, yes, you're right. Uh, and so I'd make a virtual that. copy when, when I did that. And this gentleman very graciously pointed out that they've actually changed that. And I had not noticed it because I had this practice that I followed all the time. Right. That said, well, you know what? Every time you change the ICC profile, Lightroom's print module now says, make a new so proof copy. Okay. Which is brilliant. Because that makes it even easier now if you want to try the same image with your edits on multiple paper types. Right. As a printer. Oh, I want to see what this looks like on luster and metallic and on something with a texture to it. All I have to do is change the paper ICC profile in Lightroom, and it's going to make, offer me the opportunity to make a new proof copy. So when it makes a proof copy, is that the same as making a new virtual copy? It's actually richer than that. Okay. It's an actual file. Okay. Um, you can start with a virtual copy, but a proof copy becomes a real file. Okay. It takes up a bit of space. Again, space not a big concern. But it does make it easier to jump between different paper types. Right. Okay. So where I used to have to use virtual copies to do this, now I have options. Right. Will I change my practice of making a virtual copy every time I'm going to make a change to try a different paper? Probably not. Because it's ingrained. You know, right. It's what I, could I do it? Yes, I could. But I'll probably not think about it, to be blunt. I have enough trouble with breakfast this morning. <laughs> I don't remember what that was either. But that's a, you know, there there are some great values that virtual copies can bring you. And it's also nice, you know, if you're on that creative cloud thing, you're going to get new functions and new features, which may down the road mean that you don't need to do something. Right. So I'm, I'm very thankful to the kind gentleman who wrote in um, and informed me. Of that fact. Cool. I can't, beyond that though, I can't think of reasons not to do virtual copies. Take no, no space. I really can't. Easy to recover from something bad. And you can have dozens of them. Oh yeah, and virtual copies can go in Lightroom collections too. Yes. And collections, as part of our earlier conversation, are a really good way to get around how do I find stuff and give it useful, you know, make it easy to find a year later rather than have to completely redo my file naming disk structure as is advocated by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Which maybe opens up the avenue to something else we should be talking about. Which is? About using, using collect collections more efficiently. I think collections are an integral part of using the Lightroom library, so it's definitely something that we're going to talk about in a future episode. And I suspect most people get confused by it. 
oh, I know that I know that that's true. In fact, the most common thing that I see for folks, I sent it to Photoshop from a collection and it didn't come back to the collection. That's actually true for well, some third-party editors. But we have to remember that we can start in the folder or we can start in the collection. Right. And things will return where from whence they sure. came. So yeah, that's a good another good topic. But on the subject of virtual copies, I hope the folks got an idea that this is an incredibly powerful tool. And if you're using them, great. Think about other ways that they can help you. Don't be afraid to make more. And if you've never used them before, now's a good time to start. Absolutely. Anything you wanted to add? No, I think I've uh, exhausted my repertoire here. I know I have. <laughs> so, folks, thanks very much for listening. This has been the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I've been Ross. And I'm Gordon. And we'll talk to you again next time.